You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Odessa, Texas. You can connect with us online by visiting RedeemerChurchOdessa.org. Well, it's good to be with you all. My name is Devontae McLean. I'm a member of the McLean Community Group, which sounds weird to say. So I'll say the Bertrand Community Group because Matt's the real adult. Uh, today, Tanner's going to be teaching from Romans 15. If you have the, the Bible that we have here, that'll be on page 949. More specifically, Romans 15, verses 8 through 13. And if you don't have a Bible, you can throw up your hand and either Chad or one of Tanner's children will get you one. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to, the, to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles have hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. There's a verse from Isaiah I was supposed to say, and I'll just be honest, I forgot what it was. So Tanner can wrap it up and say it. Dev, you're one of a kind, my man. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. There you go. All right. Hey, uh, good morning. Uh, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here. If you're a guest, thank you so much for, for being here. And if uh, you would look under your chair, there's a connect card under there. You can uh, take a minute, fill that out. Let us know how we can connect with you, how we can serve you, how we can get you plugged into the life of the body. And like Dev said, if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. If you're on your phone, we use the ESV. So we're going to begin this week. We're starting a new series, which we do every year about this time. Uh, We're going to start a season of Advent. Um, Advent is a Latin word that means coming. So in Scripture, there, there are two Advents of Jesus Christ. The first one is at his incarnation or his birth, and the second one is when Christ returns. And so we are living in between these two Advents And so at this time of of the year, every year, the season preceding Christmas, we always as a church will set set aside a time to remember and celebrate the first advent of Christ while looking forward with eager expectation for the second. And um, I bought 15 copies of this. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you start at the very first and go all the way to the birth story of Jesus— There are 25 stories that lead you all the way up from creation to the birth of Christ. And so I bought these for you to take. If you don't have one of these, these are incredible. If you are unfamiliar with the Bible, like maybe you're you're new to the Bible, um, this is a good starting place. I know it's a kid's book, but it's a it's a really good starting place to familiarize yourself with like the stories of the Old Testament. Um, So grab one there on the back of the of the. 
communion tables there. So when you go take communion, if you don't have one of these, grab one. This is our gift to you. Um, I would encourage you to read this with your family. If you don't have kids, like get it anyways, read it. Um, really meditate on what the Old Testament leading up to Jesus um, is, is teaching us. And so, again, these are for you to have um, and to, to really engage in this Advent season. This year specifically, I think last year we looked at the songs of Advent, like Mary's song, uh, Zachariah's song. But this year we're going to look at the themes of Advent. Um, these themes are going to communicate something different and special about the reason why we celebrate this season um, so over the course of this month, from now until our Christmas Eve service, we're going to be talking about faith, love, joy, and peace in no particular order. Um, but today I'm going to, I'm going to start with hope. Um, I really cannot make an argument as to if any of these themes are more important than the other. However, I can tell you that without hope, like without something to hope in, Life is really hard. Without hope, it's kind of a pretty bleak existence. Um, so today my goal is to just show you that we do have a great hope because Christ has entered into time and space. Jesus Christ, our Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ is our living hope. So man, perhaps you're struggling. Perhaps like, life feels hopeless. Perhaps this season is just so incredibly hard for you for any number of reasons, like death or familial struggles or whatever else. Man, first let me just say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And second, let me just tell you that, that God sees you. God sees you. God is for you. And so my goal for today is just to communicate that because Christ has physically stepped out of heaven and physically stepped out of perfection and physically put on flesh and dwelt among us that we do, in fact, have hope. A future hope, yes, but also hope now. And so let's pray, and then we're going to dive into this text. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, thank you for this, this time, this season where we just stop and consider that God became a man and God became a man to save sinners. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your willingness to put on flesh and dwell among us and live the life that we could not live and die the death that was reserved for me. Lord, I pray that as we enter into to this season, Lord, that you would just impress on our hearts a need for holiness and a need to know you. Church, I'd ask if you're willing that you would, you would pray for yourself. That the Lord would draw you into the sphere of his love. That the Lord would encourage you where you need to be encouraged and the Lord would bring conviction where you need to be convicted. Lord, we love you. Help us to love you more. Lord, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. It's in your great name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
All right, so before we dive in, um, I want us to get on the same page, like have a good working definition of what hope is. The, the word hope has kind of become one of those junk drawer words of, of, of our language. It's like love, you know, like I love my wife. I love pizza. Like uh, it's just one of, those, one of those junk drawer type words. My kids tell me all the time about the things they hope for. Dad, I hope I get a puppy for Christmas. I hope I can get all these cheaply made Target toys from this catalog that I'll be done playing with in seven seconds. And it's not just my kids, right? Like, all of us say this. My friend Daniel back there is like, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. (laughs) We just hope for things, right? Like, we hope for this, we hope for that, and usually what we hope for is generally, like, temporal things, things that don't satisfy us for long or things that don't satisfy us at all. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's not talking about your wishes and your dreams. It's talking about firm assurances, firm expectations based on what God has already done, based on what God has already completed, and based on what God has already accomplished. So Christian hope, then, is hope found in the finished work of Jesus, who completes our salvation in and through himself by his death on the cross and by his resurrection. So because of what God has already done, we have our hope anchored then to future assurances that are firm and rooted in confidence that all of God's promises to us are going to happen. Based on how God has been in the past, we know that God is a God who fulfills his promises. Based on what God has specifically said, we know that God is a God who is true. Based on the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we know that God is who he says he is. And based on the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of believers, we have assurance We have assurances of this hope that we have Christ. And so we're spending the next few weeks celebrating the birth of Christ, who by the means of his birth means that we have hope. We know that this is a significant day in history, but it's also biblically significant. So before we get to our text in Romans today, I want to take two minutes and summarize the entire Old Testament for us. Um, So before we get to the actual birth of Jesus, history has been moving towards this moment. So God created the world in Genesis 1 and 2, and in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And from that time forward, creation has been longing and groaning for God to save and redeem the world. And in Genesis 3, we get the first glimpse of God promising to undo the brokenness that has entered into the world. In Genesis 3.15, God tells the serpent that there will come a man, the offspring of the woman, who will crush the head of Satan. This verse is the first glimpse of Jesus and the first glimpse of the gospel we get in the Bible. It is the first promise that God is going to rescue and God is going to redeem all that was broken in the fall of mankind. Jesus Christ was always plan A. 
So then we move forward to Genesis 12. God not only covenants, that means makes a binding promise. God not only covenants with Abraham and his descendants, but God promises that through Abraham, all the families of the earth will be blessed. That is, uh, they'll be fulfilled, this will be fulfilled when Jesus dies. Not just for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles, meaning non-Jews as well. By Christ's death, by Christ's resurrection, it is now possible for Gentiles to become heirs and partakers in the grace of God for all eternity. Then we get to the book of Exodus that shows us how God redeems his people from slavery. It is a story of God keeping his covenant promises. We see God going to great lengths to rescue and redeem his people. God is continuing to reveal who he is to his people God shows himself to be all-loving to his children. God reveals his nature and character as an all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving God. Fast forward to the book of Joshua. God works through Joshua, the man that takes over from Moses, to claim the land that God has promised to give to Abraham. God, over and over in the Old Testament, promises to give this land to his people. And the book of Joshua is how God fulfills his promises. And as the Old Testament narrative continues, we see God's promises continue even as generations pass on to the next generation. We see these stories with prophets like like Samuel. We see stories about kings like David and Solomon. And the constant refrain is that God wants his people to know him and worship him. He wants to be their God and he wants them to be his people. And there are some really sweet high moments and some really good seasons. But overall, there is this consistency of God's people turning from him and failing to trust and failing to obey God fully or even at all. And as God's people consistently reject God, we're introduced to these prophets who speak to the people on God's behalf. The prophets are calling God's people back to himself. They're warning the people of destruction that is coming if you continue to not walk with the Lord and if you continue to walk in willful, ongoing, unrepentant sin. There is destruction. Plot twist. They mostly continue to walk in sin. Eventually, their rebellion leads them back into slavery, back into captivity, back into exile as a nation. And yet... One of the main themes in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, is that one day an ultimate redeemer would come. One day someone would rise up who could conquer Israel's enemies. One day God would raise up a man who would restore Israel to the greatness Israel was destined for. And then we have what's called the intertestamental period. That's the the space between your Bibles, between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew. Um, It's the end of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New. There are about 400 years of silence in this period. And yet, even as the people consistently and willfully wander away from God, there's hope. There is hope because God is a God who has kept his promises. And at the time of Jesus' birth, things aren't really any better for the people of Israel. The Israelites have been in captivity on and off throughout their history. And at the time of the birth of Jesus, they are yet again in captivity by the Romans, the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. 
And they are now, as a nation, actively looking for and expecting their Messiah to come. And Jesus is born. This event is not just historically significant. This is cosmically significant. All of creation has been waiting and groaning and longing for this moment. And at this moment when Christ was born, the angels break forth in praise. And while the Jewish nation is actively waiting for and actively praying for this moment, collectively they completely miss their Messiah. Jesus doesn't fulfill their expectations of what a Messiah is supposed to look like, and they miss their Messiah. Man, church, as we walk through our text together this morning, and as we consider Advent over the next several weeks, I beg you, don't miss your Messiah too. Don't miss Christ. So let's, let's get in this text. Romans 15, verse 8 says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. This text tells us that Jesus came to be a servant to the circumcised. That means he came to the Jews in order to show God's truthfulness. That means that Christ came first to the Jews in order to fulfill first the promise he made to Abraham, one of the patriarchs of the faith. Jesus is the one who brings the blessing to Abraham's descendants. And Jesus is the one in which the Jews have access to heaven, confirming the promises that God also made to Jacob. The covenantal promises that God made, being completed and maintained by Jesus, confirm his reliability and confirm his faithfulness. Jesus came and will fulfill every prophecy concerning him, down to the finest details. And in doing so, he is fulfilling the role of the Messiah, the role of God's anointed. He has promised, uh, this promise that God made to the Jewish nation is being fulfilled in Jesus. And because of this truth that Jesus is who the Old Testament said he would be, these promises aren't just reserved for the Jews. Look at verse 9. It says, In order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. Christ came first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, the Jews. But his ministry, Christ's saving work, is not limited to the Jews. Through Christ's ministry, through his birth, through his death, through his resurrection, and through his ascension, completed by the sealing promise of the Holy Spirit, God has created a way for Gentiles, for non-Jewish people, to be recipients of this great promise. And for the Jews in the first century, this would be a scandalous thought. Like, how could Gentiles worship the God of the Old Testament? But the witness of the Bible, the witness of the New Testament, is that through Jesus, not only can they become worshipers of God, God is actually pleased to graft them in for their good and for his glory. Through the ministry of Jesus, the dividing wall of hostility has been torn down. There is no longer Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile, but because of the resurrection, believers in Jesus Christ are all one in Christ Jesus. And man, this was just so unthinkable for the Jews of the day. And that is the very reason why Paul is writing his letters. 
The Jewish people don't expect this, even even though the Old Testament did predict this. And that is why Paul is citing these verses from the Psalms in the Old Testament. Let's continue in verse 9. It says, As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse, that would be David's father, if you remember from our text last week, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. This Jesus really is the true Messiah, even though he wasn't what everyone thought he would be. Man, perhaps this is true of you as well. Maybe you are looking for a God who affirms every decision you make. Maybe you want a God who doesn't call you to do hard things. Maybe you just want a God who is there when you feel like you need him and doesn't really interfere with your day-to-day life. Praise be to God that our God is not distant. Praise be to God that our God is active and present and desires a relationship with us in and through himself. Verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So what Paul goes on to say is that this knowledge of who Christ is should fill us, all believers, it should fill us, Jew and Gentile alike, with joy and peace. Because of those things, this should motivate us. This should impress upon us that we as Christians should abound in hope. We ought to abound in hope because of what Paul says in Romans 5. Romans 5, beginning in verse 1, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Man, because of the cross we have hope. We have hope because we have been justified. That means we have been made right by the blood of Christ. You are no longer guilty. You are made right by Christ's blood. Christ's blood, his atoning sacrifice, has purchased peace with God. And so now, because of this knowledge that we have God, and we have a God that keeps his promises, that God will finish what he started We have hope for the future, a future inheritance, but also a hope for our present. Christ is with us. If you are a Christian, Christ is with you. And therefore, we have hope for today because of God's great love to us. Man, but can we be honest with ourselves just for a quick second? Sometimes I think we're more like the first century Jews than we'd like to admit or even maybe even realize We have our Messiah, Jesus. 
And oftentimes our expectations of Jesus just fall short. Meaning this, we place our own wants, we place our values, we place our desires above the calling of Christ on our life for faith and obedience. Biblically speaking, our hope is anchored to the word of God and his will for our lives. And yet, so often we project on the God of the Bible all of the things in our lives that we think we're entitled to. We see God not as the God of the universe, but a little g God that is supposed to bend to our every whim and do for us what we want him to do. Man, that's not the gospel. That's not who Jesus is. Again, Jesus was the promised Messiah. However, he was not what the people expected him to be. And I think this is one of the real tragedies of Western Christianity. Uh, My last pastor, Josh Green, said this a lot. He said, so often people get what they really want. They really want stuff. And they really want comfort. And they really want an easy life. And they get all this stuff and they miss Jesus himself. It's the tragedy of tragedies. One of the scariest passages in the Bible is Romans 1. It says that these people know all this stuff about God, but they suppress the truth about him. Basically, to summarize for our, for our purposes, they knew all the Sunday school answers. They knew all the churchy things to say. They had a lot of Jesus language, but their lives never changed as a result. And in Romans 1.18, it says that the wrath of God is manifested. It is revealed from heaven against those who suppress the truth. So now when you think about the wrath of God, you're probably thinking of like an awesome action flick with like CGI fireballs falling from the sky, uh, landing on the people and consuming them, something like that. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Um, But the text actually says this, that in his wrath, God simply gives us what we want. He simply gives them what they wanted. He gives them over to and allows them to have what their heart longs for and loves. They didn't love and long for God. And God gave them up to temporal, earthly, unsatisfying things. Which means they got all the things that they wanted in this life, but they didn't have God. Church, that's terrifying. Because we live in the land of plenty. We don't ever have to do without. I mean, consider how many of us overate on Thursday. We have all of our needs met. What if, what if we gain the whole world and lose our soul? See, the first century Jews are wanting a military hero. And Jesus didn't come in and overthrow the Roman government like they thought. Jesus doesn't come in and return Israel to political prominence like they thought. He doesn't fix the things that people expected him to fix. But he's fixed our biggest problem. In great reversal form, Jesus died. No one ever expects the leader to die. 
in, especially not in such a humiliating fashion. But Jesus died. Man, our biggest need is not that we get what we think we need. Christian, our greatest need is that we need Jesus and that we need Jesus in us. We can keep doing all the stuff we want to do and tag on Jesus at the end of our sentences in an attempt to justify our sinful behaviors if we'd like. But Christ's presence in this world, Christ being born, means that we are called to something more, something far more significant. Man, we're called to holiness. We're called to purity. We are called to obedience, and we are called to submission to Jesus. We are not called to comfort. We're not called to keep doing whatever we want to do. We're not called to keep doing whatever we want to do and tack on spiritual language to it. We are called to hope in Christ. And that hope is, regardless of how things may seem, how unfair things seem, how hopeless things seem, we have Jesus, and he dwells among us, and therefore we have hope. Because of this hope, Christ will not put us to shame. We can trust that God is for us if we are in Christ. Man, our hope is anchored to the truth of Scripture. It is not found inside of us. We are called to hope in Christ. Our hope is not based on this world. It is not based on our political parties. It is not based on the economy or inflation or gas prices or our 401k. It is not based on relationships or people's perceptions of us. It is based on Christ and Christ alone. Our hope is that Jesus Christ was born miraculously, through the conception of a virgin by the Spirit of God. Jesus Christ lived a perfect, sinless life. Jesus Christ died the death that was ours to die because of our sin. Jesus Christ died in our place, paying the penalty of sin and death, thus satisfying the wrath of God against sinners. And Jesus was buried, and he was raised to life three days later completing the payment for sin and death and hell for sinners. God has promised that these things will take place. And these are promises for us. That Christ is not done. Christ will complete what he has started. One day he will return, the second advent, and he will establish his kingdom on earth and he will be our Emmanuel, our God with us forever and ever and ever. Amen. And Christians from every tribe, nation, and tongue on the face of the earth will gather together in the worship of Jesus because Jesus Christ is our living hope. So as Christians, we are called to consider Jesus. Colossians 3 says, uh, beginning in verse 2, it says, Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Because of the gospel, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, Christian, you are now covered by the blood of Christ. And Christ's blood declares you not guilty. 
And Christ has sealed us with the indwelling promised Holy Spirit. And therefore, we can live for Christ, by Christ, by faith, in trust in Christ. We can live for Christ by pursuing holiness and by pursuing his righteousness. Man, if you're not a Christian, or maybe you think you are, or maybe you're not even really sure if you are, I'm glad you're here. I'd ask you just to consider what do you hope in? What do you hope in? If you don't know, like you can kind of take a look at your bank account and see where your money goes. Or take a look at how you spend your time and see where your time goes. If your hope is rooted in anything other than Christ, his death and his resurrection and his return, you are on very shaky ground. Consider Jesus, who willingly gave himself up for you. Our hope is anchored to this truth, that God became a man to save sinners. Our hope is not tethered to a weak and out there uninvolved deity, but we serve and worship a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-loving. Do you know what that means? Christ has the power to defeat sin and death, knowing everything you have ever done and everything you ever will do, by his great love, was still pleased to do those things. Our hope is anchored to the resurrected King Jesus, who loves you and forgives you. Church, confess your sins. Repent and believe and place your faith in Jesus because he is your hope. He is your only hope. So may this hope lead you to love and worship by faith and repentance this morning. Let's pray.